Welcome to Real Christianity, where our mission is to bring the church back to the Bible. My name is Dale Partridge, and I'm the president of Relearn.org and Reformation Seminary. The premise of this show is simple. The culture is growing darker. The church is in need of sound doctrine, and many Christians are hungry for the truth. Join me here each week as we look to Scripture and discover what it really means to be a Christian. Welcome to the show. For the past four years, this podcast has been a place for me to address issues facing the culture from a biblical perspective. I have enjoyed the ability to survey a wide variety of topics And tens of thousands of you guys have listened along, have encouraged me through your reviews and messages, and and many of you have even financially supported our ministry at relearn.org. As a pastor of a local church, uh, specifically a house church, it's been incredibly difficult and time-consuming for me to prepare not only a podcast episode each week, which takes about 10 hours, but also a full expository sermon for Sunday, which takes about 10 to 15 hours. In fact, I've probably delivered over 150 sermons to the families in our house church that nobody's ever heard except for those those individual members. And so uh, when you combine my duties with leading Reformation Seminary, managing the ministry at relearn.org, and caring for the members of our local church, I just don't have enough time in my work week to do all of it without compromising my family. For that reason... And no, I'm not ending the podcast, but for that reason, I have decided that what I preach locally will be what I post each week on the podcast. Now, these aren't going to be recordings from Sunday. I'm still going to sit down and record each sermon specifically each week uh, for uh, just you guys, my podcast listeners. Now, uh, three things I just want to make clear. Number one, Just because I'm preaching a sermon doesn't mean I'm not going to apply the content of these sermons to the current culture and daily lives of Christian listeners. Okay, I want to say this has always been and always will remain my focus as a preacher is to make sure that I'm confronting those issues that are facing the church today. So yes, we're going to hit the LGBT stuff uh, at some point as we get through uh, a handful of of sermons. Yes, we're going to hit marriage and pornography and addiction and various facets of theology. These things will still be touched on. Number two, uh, this doesn't mean that I'm simply just going to go back to back through biblical books forever. Uh, As we all know, there just comes a time when a pastor has to address certain cultural issues that are, you know, consuming the hearts and minds of the Christian public. Uh, Or when, you know, the church at large might need clarity on a certain Christian doctrine or theology. Uh, What I'm saying is that I'm not going to remain silent on vital issues that confront God's people. I think you guys all saw that in my multiple episode series on COVID and the vaccine mandates. Those things will come and I will confront those things. Number three, uh, every sermon I release here will be prepared with a careful uh, application of the grammatical and historical hermeneutic. Uh, each week, I'm in a block diagram in English and in Greek. And, uh, you know, as for the, the text in Hebrew, Hebrew, I'm not the best at, but I have a, a wonderful library to leverage those tools and uh, able to faithfully extract the author's intended meaning. But lastly, I'm also going to bring the historical and cultural context of a passage, as well as the 
the practical application for the modern day believer. So the truth is, this all kind of came to be in my brain. Uh, I was sitting at the Shepherds Conference a few weeks ago, observing men like John MacArthur, uh, Steve Lawson, Vody Bauckham, Paul Washer. Uh, and one of the things that they all have in common is that they spent the vast majority of their lives simply preaching verse by verse through the Bible. Uh, I really want to do that, and I want to do that well. And so on that note, and after much prayer, I've decided to teach through the entire book of Romans. Now, I don't expect to preach as deep as Martin Lloyd-Jones did in his over 300 sermon survey, uh, but I do expect to go thoroughly uh, into the text. So I'm expecting somewhere between 50 to 70 sermons or 50 to 70 episodes that can unearth and present the beauty of this incredible New Testament book. And again, that doesn't mean that scattered through in there, uh, in that 50 to 70 uh, episode period, that I might not have some one-off episodes here and there. But we are going to be able to confront so many cultural issues of the day, from apologetics to uh, biblical sexuality, to uh, idolatry, uh, addiction, um, Calvinism. There's so much that we're going to touch through this book. And so today, I want to offer a comprehensive introduction to the book of Romans that I think will make you excited to join me on this important journey. So before we begin, I just wanted to make one quick announcement. Every day, this is not an exaggeration, every day I get a message or an email from somebody asking me if we have a house church in their area. Do you have a house church here in Ohio? Do you have a house church here in Texas? Do you have a house church here in Florida? Do you have a house church here in Canada? Do you have a house church here in Australia? Every day. And I have to say no 99% of the time. Now, we have just launched our new house church network. There's only eight or nine house churches in the network at this point at reformationfellowship.org. That being said, we really do need more men to come and be trained to plant and pastor house churches in this network. Now, we have five guys that are going to be planting in June and potentially 15 to 20 more guys planting in November, which will grow the network. And as those churches grow and multiply, but we need more men in Reformation Seminary. So if you're listening and you feel called to pastoral ministry, but uh, to bivocational ministry, keeping your job, uh, you know, receiving a little bit of financial support from the local church, um, planting and pastoring a body of 10 to 15 families in your local area that multiplies into other churches, other house churches. We want to hear from you. So please tell somebody, tell your friend, tell your husband, whatever it may be, we need more men. Uh, house church is becoming, in my opinion, uh, I, I think it will become a much Wide, more widely adopted uh, expression of the church in future years. I think more and more people are interested in close-knit, tightly connected, highly intimate, um, biblical church in a home. And so I, I think that that is uh, something that's going to continue to grow and not stop. We have been doing house church, our family, for over eight years. It's been wonderful 
it's like the difference between maybe homeschooling and public schooling. Once you do it, you never go back. Um, we love the traditional church, but there's something special about the house church. So again, reformationseminary.com. We have a class starting here in the mid, mid part of June, and we need some more men. Okay, I will stop bantering there. But we are going to begin now with the discussion about the introduction to Romans. I've titled this message, Romans, an Introduction to the World's Greatest Book. Theologians often claim that Romans is the most theologically complex book in the New Testament. And fortunately, this is <clears throat> this has really caused intimidation for many Christians, and it's it's prevented them from reading it or studying it. But we have to remember, Romans was not written to theologians or academics or even to pastors. Romans is written to a local church of first century Christians living in Rome. In, in other words, what is perceived to be the text that's for only the elite minds of, you know, the time, it's really intended for everyday Christians like you and me. And so, uh, too often, pastors, what they do is they jump right in to Romans, and they move too quickly through an introduction. That's, that's not right thinking. A book like Romans deserves a comprehensive and informative introduction. In fact, Martin Lloyd-Jones spent the first five one-hour sermons introducing the book of Romans and touching on verses 1-1. One, one. And so, as you know, I'm a major proponent of analyzation and observation before interpretation and application. And when starting a book like Romans, where we're going to live in it for some time, we have to be willing to spend a fair amount of effort analyzing the historical and cultural context of the author, the audience, the outline of the book before we dive into the text. To, I mean, just imagine, imagine seeking to run into a wilderness without knowing the landscape. Uh, you'd be a fool, right? To run into the Rocky Mountains of Colorado without learning about the terrain, the animal life, the geography, uh, the weather patterns, that, that would be brainless. Okay, we, we have to prepare beforehand so that we can properly interpret as we go. So Romans is ancient literature from a foreign land in an extinct form of Greek language to a fusion of people from radically different backgrounds and cultures. If we hope to grasp not only the sheer beauty of this letter, but also the accuracy of what's being taught, we have to be willing to examine the foundation, the, the historical cultural foundation on which it is built. And so this is a magnificent book. The epistle to the Romans is Paul's magnum opus. It's his most exceptional work. And as we're going to see, it is the most important exposition of the gospel ever written. It is, in my opinion, the most meaningful and vital piece of literature on earth. And when you understand this, you know why the Lord, in his providence, has chosen to place Romans as the first New Testament epistle. It's, it's not because it's the longest epistle, which it is, or because it was written first, which it was not. Uh, it's because it is the most magnificent explanation of the gospel available to the human soul. Now, we, we have to know 
that the Old Testament books, what do they do, right? They point us to and prepare us for Christ. Now, what do the Gospels do? The Gospels declare Christ. Then Acts preaches Christ. And then the epistles explain Christ. Romans is the chief expositor of Christ, of his gospel. In fact, Martin Luther once said, uh, Romans is the chief part of the New Testament and the very purest gospel. John Chrysostom said of the book of Romans, Romans is unquestionably the fullest, deepest compendium of all sacred foundational truths. J.I. Packer, just adding here, J.I. Packer once said, all roads in the Bible lead to Romans, and all views afforded by the Bible are seen most clearly from Romans. If, if, if Romans was an evangelist, guys, I, I believe it would be responsible for more conversions than any other biblical text in church history. It was the book of Romans that the Lord used to convert Augustine, uh, uh, John Wesley, Martin Luther. I mean, it, it was Romans that absolutely formed the faith of men like John Calvin and Jonathan Edwards and Martin Lloyd-Jones and John Piper. W when writing a commentary on Romans, John Calvin began to see the heart of the gospel. And he wrote, quote, the book of Romans was my entrance to all the most hidden treasures of scripture. The subject then of these chapters may be stated thus, man's only righteousness is through the mercy of God in Christ, which being offered by the gospel is apprehended by faith. Essentially, John Calvin summarizes what most people think is the central passage of the book of Romans. Uh, it's seen in chapter 3, verses 23 through 25. And I want you guys just to see, just for a second, how much depth is packed into a single sentence. It says, quote, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith, end quote. That's one sentence. This is the kind of text that we're going to find in Romans. It is a book full of dense sentences. It's not a book that you necessarily casually read. You can. It's a book that you take in bite-sized pieces that hold immense quantities of spiritual nourishment in every single bite. So we want to just take our time to get through it. Now, we first, we also want to talk about the author. We want to know who wrote this book and why Paul. And so we know that it was written by the Apostle Paul because it's stated in chapter 1, verse 1. But I want you to take a moment, and I just want you to understand the unique relationship Paul has to this letter. Yes, in a sense, he's just the author. But as you're going to see, God uniquely designed him for this task. And this is essential because it reveals how God intricately prepares his people for their specific ministry. And for a man like Paul, with such a clear ministry, we can see such clear preparation. And having said that, this is not only true of the apostles, but of all believers. The life that you have is the life the Lord has ordained for you to prepare you for the specific ministry God has for you. And you're going to see this unfold here in a minute. 
So let's just look at Paul, at, at the Apostle Paul. As we know, Paul was a zealous man. Uh, he was introduced in the scriptures as Saul, the great persecutor of Christians in the early church. He approved the stoning of Stephen. He just sat in silent approval watching him die. Could this man in the flesh hated Jesus Christ. He hated everything his followers believed. To him, they were blasphemers and sinners. Galatians 1.13, Paul writes, For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it, end quote. So then as, you know, we know the story, right? We know the stories that on the road to Damascus, Paul is radically converted. He's blinded, then he's spiritually trained up in Arabia. A lot of people miss that. Uh, meaning that before, Paul doesn't go from conversion to, to missionary. He goes from conversion, spends about 10 years being spiritually developed by revelation of the Lord, and then goes out into ministry. And then Paul's called to preach the gospel to the Gentiles throughout the known world. But what you have to see is God's intentional design of Paul's life. Okay, from birth, Paul was sovereignly placed in a world that equipped him for this specific ministry and for writing this specific letter. And let me explain. Paul was a man of two worlds. The first world, Paul was a Jew. He's born of the, the tribe of Benjamin, trained as a Pharisee. In other words, Paul was thoroughly educated in the Old Testament under Gamaliel, and he was the premier teacher of the law in that time. According to church tradition, by the time Paul was 21, he had earned the equivalent of two advanced academic degrees. And as a result, Paul was an intellectual. He was a scholar of the Old Covenant. So ultimately, Paul was extensively equipped by his heritage, spiritual gifting, his economics, and social status to what? To exhaustively understand Judaism. Now, on the other hand, the other world, Paul was a Roman citizen, born in the ancient metropolitan city of Tarsus that was as culturally influential as Athens or Rome. Uh, he was uh, thoroughly acquainted with Greek philosophy and the polytheism of the day. He was socially refined and sophisticated, and as a result, he was extensively equipped by his geography, his social placement, and education to what? To exhaustively understand the Greco-Roman culture. And so we have a Jewish Pharisee who's a sophisticated Roman citizen. What an amazing clash of two worlds within one man. Okay, the Jews hated the Romans, and the Romans hated the Jews. So, so God produces a Jewish scholar who has a Roman intellect to reveal the Jewish Messiah to the Roman Gentile world. This is an amazing reality of preparation. God takes the man who hates Christians and hates Rome and makes him the foremost advocate for Christ to the Roman people. I mean, this is what God does. He is in the business of creating humble men and women. And this is why Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.15, the saying is trustworthy. 
and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. You might have heard the translation that he is the chief of sinners. Paul is incredibly humbled in the way that God designed his life for ministry. Uh, For my own personal ministry, I spent the first half of my life starting businesses. I started, I don't know, 15 different businesses. I understood the art of the start. I was really good at getting something from idea to completion, getting something from nothing to turn into something. And now, and I didn't even know this until, you know, maybe five years ago, I'm a church planter. I I go places and I take a group of people and I preach the gospel and I have this training and gifting and ability to take something really and through God's grace, turn it into to a group of people that love the Lord. And, and so it's just this unique kind of Mr. Miyagi, you know, wax on, wax off. You don't really know what you're doing, but you're actually learning karate kind of moment where that Jesus is preparing his people uh, for their ministry. And he did the same with me. He's, he's given me all these historical skills to run these ministries in the business world. He's allowed me to learn how to uh, form and produce uh, and I would say motivate and lead people in the business world that I now absolutely utilize in my giftings as a pastor and church planter. And so Paul was broadly developed and uniquely equipped to comprehend the religious realities of both the Jews and the Greeks. And upon his conversion and training in the scriptures by the Holy Spirit, he he was able to not only see the overwhelming grace of God, but also the fallacies and the weaknesses of Judaism and Greek philosophy. Okay, and as a result, Paul was able to confront the religious views of the day, exploit their flaws in humility and in love, and replace them with the truth of Jesus Christ. I mean, this is why Paul could write things like 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5. He says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Verse 5, pay attention. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. This is being said in a Roman culture, which is huge Greek philosophy. Lots of opinions, lots of arguments. And he says, and to take every thought captive to obey Christ. See, more importantly, Paul was able to communicate the gospel to both groups of people in a way that very, very few people could. Ultimately, Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. Um, He was divinely prepared for the ministry that God gave him. And, And this should really affirm everyone who is listening that even your tragic childhood and your sinful history and mistakes and your family's heritage, they can all be used by God in your ministry. God is designing your life every single step of the way. God prepares his people for ministry. And this isn't seen more clearly than in the book of Romans. And as we're going to see, Paul leverages every single gift and resource and experience that he has uh, to produce an epistle that squarely addresses both the Greeks and the Jews with the gospel of Jesus Christ with the most eloquent and persuasive Christian arguments known to man. Now, we've touched on the author. Let's briefly touch on the location, the relevance of Rome. So Rome is the capital city of the empire. 
and the epicenter of influence in the known world. The population of the city was over 1 million people, which is a huge group of people that are walking by foot and using animals. And, and so this is the heart of modern thought, architecture, academics. And Paul states in the first chapter that he was unable to make it physically to Rome at this point. And this letter becomes his mode of delivering vital gospel truth to the Christians who were living in the world's most powerful city. And so many of Paul's letters, as you guys know, that some of them are either response letters or corrective letters, but Romans is neither. Romans is a universal exposition of the gospel aimed at the church that God had placed in such an area of, of cultural influence. It would be the equivalent of someone writing a letter to the church in Washington, D.C., or New York City, or Los Angeles, or London. Uh, if the Lord can capture the hearts of these people uh, that have such great influence, he can expand the church more rapidly. And so God has strategy in everything he's doing, and, and his will is perfect. And we have to admit that it was the Spirit's work of this letter that permitted the early church to go from 12 martyred men to the church that overtakes the Roman Empire in less than 300 years. Uh, this is an amazing fact. And so this, this Roman letter is vitally important. So as for the outline of Romans, it's a structural symphony. And so the meta-narrative, the grand narrative of the epistle is this. Righteousness before God can only be found by grace through faith in Christ. So uh, it's, it's the Romans... Uh, text or the book of Romans that produced the central source of the great Reformation doctrine, right? Sola gratia, sola fide, sola Christus, saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's, it's why Romans is such an effective tool for gospel clarity, even for Christians. I actually expect that millions of false converts, people who think they're Christians but aren't, people who have came to the church but never came to Christ, I bet that Romans has uh, been probably the most effective tool in saving the falsely assured. We, we have to remember, Martin Luther had a doctorate in theology before he was born again, and he was born again through reading the book of Romans. We have to remember that John Wesley was a graduate of Oxford. He was a deacon in the Anglican church, a missionary to the Indians before he was born again through hearing the preaching through the book of Romans. So Christians, we have to re remember that Romans is powerful. It's a powerful text because it's, it's powerful clarity on the gospel. In fact, uh, evangelistically speaking, there is a phrase you may have heard called the Romans Road, which is a series of seven Bible verses from the book of Romans that walks a person through God's plan of salvation. Uh, the Heidelberg Catechism actually follows the same structure of the book of Romans. And so Romans, very influential. Now, when we zoom out, there is a general structure that we have to be aware of. The first 11 chapters of Romans are a systematic presentation of the gospel while the chapters uh, 12 through 16 are about the practical outworking of that gospel doctrine 
in the lives of Christians in the church. Very common structure for Paul. We know that that happens in most of his letters. He always opens up with a beautiful exposition of the gospel and then practical application later. But the first 11 chapters are really the heart of that. And then 12 through 16, you get into orthopraxy. So it's clear that Romans is the greatest systematic presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ known to man. Now, why should you be excited to study it? Why should you be willing to labor to understand it? Why should you be committed to listening to someone like me teach through the book of Romans? The answer is simple. Because when you know Romans, you know God. Okay, when you know Romans, you're going to know God. Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24 says, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Guys, if you want to understand and know God, join me as I preach through Romans. If you want a stronger grasp of the gospel, join me as I preach through Romans. If you want to be able to defend what you believe and communicate clear doctrine to others, if you want to see the doctrinal diamonds and jewels of the Christian faith, the pearls that anchor a person to Jesus for eternity, then join me as I go through Romans. Let's pray. Oh Lord, I thank you for this wonderful opportunity to preach through Romans. Father, I ask that you permit me to remain faithful to the text. Lord, I pray that you will use this book to save your people from their sins. I also pray that you strengthen your saints who are fighting for truth in this world. And I ask that you give them gospel clarity and biblical wisdom that edifies them and strengthens the church to continue burning brightly in this dark world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Guys, I hope this has been edifying for you. I hope you're excited to get through Romans with me. If you're a regular listener to this podcast, thank you. Uh, We love just having so many loyal listeners. If you haven't left a review, would you consider leaving a review? Just tap the stars in the podcast app. You can also write a review. You guys know I read every single review. We have over 6,000 reviews, and those reviews really do help the exposure of the show. Also, would you consider inviting somebody to listen to the podcast as we go through Romans together? What a wonderful time for you to invite someone to hear a systematic presentation of the gospel, and uh, we would love to have them as a part of the journey. Uh, Thank you guys for joining me on this episode of Real Christianity. My name is Dale Partridge, and I'll see you next week. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Real Christianity. Real Christianity is a listener-supported audio ministry of relearn.org. Our mission at relearn.org is to bring the church back to the Bible. We achieve this through strengthening Christians in biblical and theological literacy. Find biblical articles, podcasts, sermons, and videos at our website at relearn.org. Our team is small, but our mission is large, and we need your help. If you'd like to support our ministry financially, you can always do so at relearn.org 
forward slash donate. Thank you again for joining me today, and I hope to see you next week for another episode of Real Christianity.